the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The factors not available. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Dark forces came behind To the left and right the desert Brought panic to their minds The evil of that hour Was stronger than the sun That beat on them with nowhere left to run The chariots of Egypt Drew nearer as they cried Yet Moses stood there calmly with a fearless faith inside. He said there is a power far greater than the sword. Stand still and you will witness a mighty salvation from our Oh, 
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. And those of you who have listened for some time know that the parting of the Red Sea is the song of victory for us. Yesterday we did an offertory unto Jesus. And we needed $2,892. That's what we were short for the month. An offering came in of $25. Another offering came in of $700, a pledge. That left a remaining balance of $1,949. I've been spending much time in prayer over that and knew that today I needed to come back for another day of offertory. And then this morning, just before the broadcast, a dear brother in Jesus from out of state called me and made a pledge for $2,000. So radio for the month of October is paid one day before the end of the month, two days before the end of the month, I know that only Jesus can move in the hearts of men and women to give this way. So thank you for each of you who gave. Some of you gave 20, some 25, some 50, 75, 100, 200, 75. Each dollar counted. Yesterday, 700, and now 2,000 today. I want you to see the miracle. I want you to rejoice in what Jesus has done, for I could not have done it. Jesus had to step in and cover the price. This is a faith venture. This is a faith ministry. I want to thank each one of you who participated in the offertory 
and in the giving for this month's expenses. Thank you, Delip, for your constant love and support. I got your check yesterday. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I know it was Jesus and the work of his gospel. Now I want to dive in and begin a series of messages today and tomorrow and then next week. And the question is, are you a Romans 7 Christian or are you a Romans 8 Christian? That's going to take us into some very unexpected places that I think will bring great joy to your heart. Many of you, I know, are still in bondage. You have not been set free by Jesus. You are still struggling. Sin is still gaining the victory in your life. And Jesus does not want you to be in bondage. He came to set you free. He came to heal your sickness and your diseases, to carry it on the cross. By his stripes, we are healed. And he came to transform you into the likeness of Jesus. So let's let's go into the scriptures. And we're going to begin in the seventh chapter of Romans. But please, before we begin, may I pray with you. Lord Jesus, I plead that the words that I would speak would be words from the Holy Spirit. Lord, human words are cheap and affect no change in the life of a person. It's only that which you speak, Holy Spirit of the living God, that can effectually touch and change and heal the broken human heart. And Lord, there are many today listening who have a broken human heart. Lord, we want to lay aside all pretense and all pretend. We want the honest truth. And I ask you now to come and give me the words to speak. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts. And that your name, Jesus, would be glorified. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. I am a pilgrim. That's why we named this broadcast Pilgrim's Progress. And I have spoken with you about my growing in understanding regarding the things of the scriptures and in regard to walking with Jesus. I want to be very honest and straight and plain with you that I am on pilgrimage. I am not a finished work. I'm in progress. And Jesus has graciously come to me time after time with a new understanding of what his will is and what his word is. 
I pray today that your heart will be open to hearing what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. I know it is not by human wisdom that the heart is healed. It was not by human wisdom that Moses was able to lead the children of Israel out of Israel, out of Egypt, into Israel. It was not, it was not human ability. As he stood before that burning acacia tree, it was symbolizing that Moses himself had to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit rather had to accompany him. I want to be clear as we go through this study and very careful with my language. The Holy Spirit did not dwell in Moses, he dwelt with Moses. The Holy Spirit did not dwell in anyone until Jesus received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then no one received that baptism of his disciples until the day of Pentecost. And then they received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But it's not by human power and it's not by human wisdom. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus. So please go with me to Romans, the seventh chapter. I'm going to begin with verse one. We're going to walk through this very carefully. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God, for when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now we need to break down these words in Romans 7 and come into a very clear understanding of what is being said. If you sin against God, you once more move under the law, and the law will condemn you. If I have one of these new recycled 
cloth bags and I go to Whole Foods and they load my cloth bag up with my groceries and I carry them then out to the car so that I don't use paper bags. We say that's wonderful. But what if that cloth bag gives way and the bottom breaks out and my groceries then are spread all over the parking lot? You would say that was not a good thing. When we come to Jesus, we are called to die. We are made into something that is useful to God. But if we sin against him, we go back under the law and the bottom drops out of our bag and we are no longer safe. We are in grave danger. Now this is what Romans 7 is going to say to us. If you are controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our body so that we bore fruit for death. So if you call yourself a Christian, but you're a Roman 7 Christian, you're a person who knows the gospel, but the gospel is of none effect in your life because you continue to walk in darkness. So you do not die to what once bound us. We have all been bound by the law. That is, we have been under the condemnation of the law. We have been, to put it another way, we have been perished. That is, we are considered as dead men and women, even though we walk around and call ourselves Christians. There is a way that you have to die to that law and come into Jesus in a way that no time in history, no time in the Old Covenant, was anyone able to do. You recognize that from Hebrews, the 10th chapter, portions of Hebrew teach us that the sacrifices of animals did not remove our sin. That the Old Testament men and women who sacrificed animals had their sins covered over until the death of Jesus. And at the death of Jesus, their sins were finally wiped out. They were forgiven for their sins. And so an animal sacrifice was required for that blood to allow them to be declared righteous, legally righteous, but not in fact righteous, even though they were called to walk holy and clean before God. But in that walking, the Holy Spirit walked with them, but was not in them. And so they never had the fullness of the new covenant in their hearts. The law was external. It was not written on their hearts internally. 
in the new covenant, the law is written internally on our hearts. Now it says in verse 6, But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And in the coming days, we're going to talk about how to serve in the new way, not under the law. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Oh, certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, Do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. So in other words, the law simply brought to the surface what was on the inside of man's heart. The law is not unrighteous. It is righteous. But it brings to the very surface who I am. Verse 11, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. In other words, the law judged the sin that was bubbling up out of the heart of man. Now, the whole gospel of Jesus is about how that bubbling up can be cleansed and transformed and changed. How we can be made clean by the blood of Jesus and how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin. It produced death in me through that which was good, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. Isaiah is very clear that even my most righteous actions are as filthy rags. I have nothing to bring to Jesus except the bubbling heart of sin exposed by the law until the miraculous change We'll speak in great depth about this. The miraculous being born from above takes place in our lives. If you are still walking in sin, there's a problem with your understanding of being born from above. If you claim to be a Christian but you walk in sin, you've not gotten it yet. And I want you to have this treasure in your life that you can walk clean before God, released from your bondage, released from the law. The law has no say over a righteous man or a righteous woman. So the question is, how do we transition from that man of sin into the man of righteousness? 
And I confess very freely to you, I had nothing to bring to Jesus in all of my righteous deeds, in all of my acts of kindness. I had nothing to bring in all of the wickedness of my heart. I had nothing to bring to Jesus to merit any kind of salvation. Salvation is a free gift. It is a wonderful working of the blood of Jesus Christ in our hearts and in our lives. It is free. But it will cost you having to die to the law. It will mean your carnal nature has to be put to death. But you know what? You can't even put it to death. Jesus is going to have to do that for you. He's going to have to circumcise your heart. Now Paul goes on. Verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual. We know it's the word of God. We know the law, the Ten Commandments, is the standard of righteousness. It utterly destroys any hope of my making myself a place of standing before a righteous and holy God. My bag is torn. I can't repair it. It's only good for one thing. Put it in the fire. And if you do not get free of the law, not through cheap grace, but through righteousness, if the law condemns you, then there is sin in your life and you have not yet died to it. Lord, I'm just praying now that you will give a deep understanding to this message. I pray, Lord, that all of the defenses will lay down and will hear with new ears by words of the Spirit that I must die and be born again, that I would understand that something dramatic must happen a supernatural event. So Lord, I pray now for each person who's listening that they would not just say, oh, I know that, I understand that, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, while in fact they're still walking in the wickedness of their heart under the law, condemned before you, but deceived into thinking they're walking clean, but they're not at all clean thinking that you finished at the cross all of the work of sanctification and making them holy when they're not holy, thinking that it's all it's all imputed righteousness. Lord, would you deal with this? Lord, thank you. Listen, when Moses stood at that burning acacia bush, the presence of God. The Lord said, step out of your sandals. 
for the ground where you're standing is holy. What made that ground holy? The imputed righteousness and holiness of God. Because God was there. His presence was there. Remember when Joshua met Jesus as the warrior chief outside of Jericho, he said, take your shoes off for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. What made it holy? The imputed righteousness, the holiness of God made it, made it so. Inanimate objects can have holiness imputed to them when they are being used by the holy and righteous God. What made the tabernacle holy? It was not the Ark of the Covenant that made it holy. It was the Shekinah glory of God on the Ark that made it holy. It had imputed righteousness and holiness because the presence of God was there. If today they found the Ark of the Covenant in some archaeological finding, they could open the Ark, they could touch it, there would be no danger as there was for Uzzah. There would be no danger in opening the Ark and looking inside of it. They could touch it, nothing would happen to them. Why? Because the presence of God, the holiness of God, is not in the ark anymore. You see, it's only the presence of God that makes an inanimate object holy or righteous. But a man or a woman is a moral agent, and a moral agent cannot have imputed righteousness. They either are made righteous or they are still unrighteous. A moral being must stand washed and clean before a righteous and holy God. You cannot consider yourself an inanimate object and call yourself holy and righteous by some false imputed righteousness. You see, in the New Covenant, the presence of the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. And literally, it is the holy presence of God that makes us holy. That's why the theology is so deceptive and so wrong that teaches you that you can be righteous and holy by imputed righteousness without the actual presence of God. The scriptures tell us that we are the temple of the living God, that he actually wants to come and dwell in us. That's what makes us righteous. It's not our holiness. It's not my righteousness. I have no righteousness. I have no holiness. I am an unrighteous and unholy man until I come out from under the law. 
and God comes and dwells in me. He makes me righteous. Now, it's imparted righteousness. And he burns the sin out of my life. Now, verse 14 of Romans 7, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. Now, is the Apostle Paul saying that he is in this condition now? No, absolutely not. He's speaking in the historical present, or the analytic presence, as it's known in Greek. He's speaking in the present tense about his old experience. He's speaking about while he was under the Jewish law. He's speaking about a time before he had been put to death and born from above. I'll show you that in just a moment in a very detailed way. Verse 17, As it is, I no longer myself, I'm not the one who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature or in my flesh. So, Paul is saying, look, I recognize where I was before I was saved. I recognize that all of my righteousness was as filthy rags. I kept the law perfectly, but I was as filthy rags. I was persecuting the church. I was killing people. I was approving Stephen's martyrdom. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Some of you today, please hear me. Some of you are still walking in rebellion and sin against the Almighty. You go to that person and engage in fornication. You're living with a man or a woman that you're not married to. You lie at work. You cheat. You steal. You do any number of things that you know are absolutely wrong for you to do. You have tried to turn off the pornography, but every time it's until next time. And you go back to that uncleanness. Well, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. A man used to call me on this broadcast, and often he'd call me when he was drunk. And he would weep before God. He'd say, I can't gain the victory. Well, he was right. He could not gain the victory. Alcohol had him in a firm grip. He was an alcoholic. He could not lay down his alcohol, even though he called himself a Christian. 
and believed that he was saved. Now, that's the problem. He believed a lie. He was not saved. He was lost. He was hellbound. The bottom had come out of his bag. It was worthless. He was about to be cast into the fires of hell. And he didn't understand it. He claimed a lie. For what I do not For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Verse 21. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members. I know that's where some of you are today. You have found no relief so you have either chosen to give up the battle with your sin or you have simply said, look, as some people have said to me, I'm as good as I can be. This is the person Jesus made and so he's just going to have to accept me the way I am. I can't help myself. If that's your position, then you are a Romans 7 Christian claiming to follow Jesus but having no power to resist the devil and walking in ways that you know are absolutely wrong, that are sin. And you may have convinced yourself that Your cynicism is okay. Your bitterness and your anger, God will just have to forgive because you've been wronged so deeply by this person, you can't forgive them. And so you make war with them. You separate yourself from them. You walk in ways that are wicked before God. And you say, that's just who I am. I can't help myself. Well, you're absolutely right. You cannot help yourself. You are a man or woman of sin. The problem comes if you claim now that you are saved in that position, in that place of wickedness. No, you are under the law, and the law brings death. Remember what I read to you at the very beginning. read it for you again. The law. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? Verse 7. For my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, 
in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when you were controlled, and some of you today listening to this broadcast are controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. So some of you are bearing fruit for death, not life. And yet you call yourself saved. What have you been saved from? You've not been saved from the law, and you haven't been saved from the condemnation of the law. You're in trouble. Now you can smooth this over, and you can pretend that grace will cover your sin, but it will not cover your sin. Titus tells us that grace teaches us how to say no to sin. The Lord wants to remove that sin from your heart and from your life. And he wants to give you a new life. Let me read it for you. Paul writes, As a man who is caught up in this sin, who is under the law, who the, the law is clear and it brings forth out of our inner being all that is there, anger, bitterness, hardness of heart, selfishness, ambition, all of the things that are of uncleanness. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? See, you have to come to a place where this is the cry of your heart, where you recognize your condition and you no longer pretend you're all right in the midst of your sin. But you have to come now and deal very honestly with your wickedness. You have to deal very faithfully with who you are and what you're responsible for. That's why the first step toward Jesus is always repentance. And repentance is, first of all, a confession. This is what I've done. This is who I am. And I am hopeless. It's a confession of very specific sins, not general sins. You can't stand up in church as they do at the Anglican church and say, forgive me for my sins. No, what sins? Where's the bondage? If you want the bondage broken, you're going to have to name the sin before God. What a wretched man I am. You're going to have to let yourself feel the utter wretchedness of your being undone and under the condemnation of the law and stop pretending that some imputed righteousness can come and cover over and declare you righteous. That's Old Testament stuff. You haven't offered any blood sacrifices. You haven't offered a lamb or a sheep or a goat. And it would be of no effect now because Jesus died on Calvary. His blood has been shed for us. What a wretched man I am. We want to dodge that. We don't want to feel wretched. But if we're going to come to Jesus, 
and not be a Roman 7 Christian, we're going to have to come to terms with our wretchedness, with what we've done. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And now comes the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. It is only Jesus who can free you from this horrible bondage of the law. Until you're willing to admit your bondage to that law, until you're willing to stop pretending that somehow you have been given imputed righteousness, that is, righteousness that is not real, righteousness that is only for inanimate objects or for Old Testament people who shed the blood of animals and were declared righteous until Jesus should die on Calvary's tree. I want to read a passage of scripture for you. It's found in John, the Gospel of John, the seventh chapter. Now, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus had stood and cried out, saying, If anyone may be thirsty, he must come to me and drink. The one believing in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He said this concerning the Spirit, whom the ones believing on him were about to receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. That's John, 7th chapter, verse 39. So Jesus had not yet been glorified, so he could not give the Holy Spirit. So up until the time Jesus died on Calvary, you could claim imputed righteousness by offering the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, pigeon. But after Jesus died on Calvary, there was no longer any imputed righteousness. Now, instead, in the New Covenant, there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now it is imparted righteousness. It is real righteousness. Because we then become the temples of the living God. Now, it's very clear out of Romans 7 that if you believe the false doctrine of imputed righteousness after Jesus has ascended and is glorified, you will think that you're okay in the midst of your sin. But you're not. You're not. You're under the law. Let's say that a Christian walking with the Lord 
turns back once more and becomes profane before God, cursing and swearing, lusting after things of darkness. Let's say that that person no longer hungers after Jesus. He will grieve the Holy Spirit from his life, and there are numerous examples that we'll go to later in this series. And he will become useless before God, and the Holy Spirit will depart, and he will now be under the law, and he will be subject to the penalty of the law because he has left Jesus and is now simply following a cultural understanding of imputed righteousness that is utterly of darkness. He will not walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, even though he may have at one time. So I'm concerned today about those of you who perhaps at one time walked clean before God, but now you have forsaken him. You have walked into deliberate rebellion against Jesus. And you have claimed to be saved. But you are now under the law again. Any man who walks in sin before God goes back under the law. And the only recourse is repentance, a turning away, a change of behavior, a change in my relationship with Jesus to allow the Holy Spirit to once more come and enter into me and deal with my heart and cleanse and purify and make whole. I hope this is plain to you today. If you claim to be a Christian and you live in this Romans 7 wickedness, you are in fact not a Christian because you are following the teachings of our culture as the sinning Christian and you are walking in grave danger because there will be a day of judgment. And you must come to a point where you feel and know your wretched condition before God. And you're going to have to cry out, as it gives in Romans 7, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? for the sin rises up out of the heart. And that has to be changed. And only Jesus, by his blood, can make that change in your life. Now I'd like to pray for you. Lord, I pray for every person today who self-identifies as being a Romans 7 Christian. And I ask in your great mercy that this deception could be utterly broken from their hearts. I would ask, Jesus, that you would take away every comfort 
and every false assurance and every deception from their hearts and that they would come and cry out, O Jesus, will you rescue me from this body of death? Thank you, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I want you to know the freedom of Jesus. I want you to walk in the victory of Romans 8, and that's where we're going next. So carefully read Romans 8 in preparation for tomorrow. Jesus loves you. He wants you to walk with him in the fullness of the gospel. God bless you, my brother, my sister. If you'd like to contribute for the month of November, write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you, brother, sister. I'll talk to you soon.